This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Our guest this week is Ryan Divish, longtime Seattle Mariners beat reporter for the Seattle Times. Ryan joins us for a conversation about the Mariners, about covering a losing team for all those years, and finally getting to cover a team in the postseason only to have them lose in heartbreaking fashion in Game 1 of the Divisional Series. It's a great conversation. You'll notice that at the beginning, my audio is not as strong as it is right now. That is a technical difficulty brought on by user error, but we got it sorted out partway into the episode, so I promise it gets better. Welcome to Sports by Northwest. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Our guest this week takes us beyond the friendly borders of Oregon, all the way to Washington, Seattle, to be specific, although he is joining us from Texas. It is Ryan Divish, longtime beat writer on the Seattle Mariners for the Seattle Times. Ryan, how's it going? Uh, it's warm and muggy and gross here in Texas is what it, it is right now. <laughs> I mean, it's as I tell people, it's a three gold bond powder type of day. <laughs> so, Ryan, you're joining us before game two of the Mariners divisional series against the Houston Astros. Obviously they lost a heartbreaker in game one. You know, we don't do a ton of Mariners on this podcast. We don't cover the Mariners on a daily basis, but this season has, has gotten, has, has kind of taken on, um, has kind of enraptured, let's say the, um, the entire region. And I remember this growing up as a, as a kid in the Northwest, the great Mariners teams, Griffey, A-Rod, when Ichiro came up in 2001 with Brett Boone. I mean, those teams, I was in high school and we, you know, in class would turn on those games. So it does become a regional thing when the Mariners are good. Can you sort of describe what this season has been like? I mean, I know it's, you you go 21 years without a playoff run. What has this season been like from a sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say vibe, but like just sort of like kind of the, the momentum and kind of the feel around this team and sort of the energy around kind of this run that the Mariners are on. It's very different. Like I, I, I tell people all the time, and they didn't really experience it, but like there is nothing quite like, you know, September pennant chase, uh, postseason chasing baseball. Baseball is different. It's every day, you know, like with football, it's it, it's a week buildup. Um, basketball, it's, you know, here and there. But baseball is every day. There's a result every day. There's a game to talk about every day. There's an example. It's there's nothing quite like it. You're watching you're watching all the other teams play and. I mean, honestly, when it was June 19th and they were 29 and 39, I thought it'd be another year where I got back to Montana early and hung out. But 
Um, they just kind of went on this crazy run, and I've never seen anything quite like it. They were expected to be good this year, and for a while they weren't, and all of a sudden they were. It's been it's been kind of crazy just to see how the city of Seattle um, really just attached itself to it. Again, it's the everyday nature of it. Uh, I was here, or I did my internship at the News Tribune in Tacoma in 2000. So they were really good back then. And mm-hmm. I remember even in 2001 going out to a game at then Safeco Field. It was the first game Alex Rodriguez had played with the Rangers when he came back. And some guy just handed me a bunch of fake dollar bills with Alex's picture on it that said, Ingrid, I trust. And you had to throw them out there, you know. Uh, but, like, I, I remember what it was like back then a little bit. And to see it kind of turn back into that now after so many years is really crazy. And, you know, like, I'm not a fan or of the team. You know, but I, I understand what the team means to the city and the region. Absolutely. I have, friends, I have friends that are Mariners fans that have grown up Mariners fans. I have friends that work in the in for the organization that are not in the baseball side and they live and die with this stuff. And it's pretty cool to see how excited they are about this season. You touch on something that's so important is like, you know, understanding in our jobs that you're not cheering for the team, right? And this is something that, you know, I think people always sort of you know, kind of get confused, but you do care about the city you're in. You do care about a lot of people who care and you know, your readers care. And so you do get caught up in the story and, and you, you would lo- you always want to cover a winner. You know, you either want to cover a winner or a loser. Um, and you've covered a lot of losers. And I, I'm sure that that has been, um, you know, for you, I guess for you personally to go from, you know, you said you did your internship in 2000. Uh, I believe your first year on the beat was 2007 uh, at the Tacoma News Tribune. So you've been doing this for you know 14 losing seasons before this year. What has been different about covering a winning team um, and a team that actually you know was chasing you know a postseason berth for much of the second half of the season and now is finally there? Yeah, I mean that's the thing is it's, your writing is relevant at the time. You know, that's the big thing is you want to be read. I mean, like we're all kind of selfish. You want people to read your stuff. I mean, like they, they had winning seasons. They just didn't have postseason seasons. I think that I think three or four winning seasons is all, but you know, you, you want to write stories that people want to read. You want, you know, that's, like I, I always tell people, well, I cheer for outs because I'm looking for quick games, but you cheer for the story. Like, I, yeah, I'm not a fan of the team. It doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, I can't be emotionally attached to the team and whether they win or lose, but I, I am emotionally attached to the job um, and the stories. And, and I have a passion for the job and an emotional attachment to the job and the stories. So when you're, when they're good, one, it's easier to talk to guys when they're good. And two, it's, it's, it's more fun to write about, you know, kind of fun stuff than it is always writing about people getting fired. I mean, I've covered seven different managers, three different general managers, you know, players come and go and, you know, drama and turmoil. Like that's, you know, it gets clicks. Don't get me wrong. It gets readers, but it's not always the stories you want to write, you know, and it wears on you writing about those stories. So yeah, it's been different. I mean, like, it's just a, it's just a, better thing like either be really bad or really good and a lot of times the manners were somewhere in between it's like the uh the line in um uh uh gangs in new york you know you're neither hot nor cold you're just lukewarm and i spew you out i mean like the mariners are lukewarm you know and and i mean I, i'm trying to think back i was writing season obituaries in july and stuff like that and honestly in, in june i thought i was getting ready to write one because they were trending in the wrong way and i thought here we go it's going to be another losing season and you know, and 
I was prepared for that. I've written a lot, a lot. I've written about a lot of losing in my life, uh, and sometimes it can really be fun to to do that. But it's also it's fun to do the other stuff too. That's like so not to just ramble on, but like we were talking about it yesterday, the crazy way they lost on on uh uh geez, what day is it? Tuesday night in game one where Robbie Ray gave up the homer and all the controversy surrounding bring him in that turfed everything we were planning to do for the off day. It could have been a fun off day in Houston. I mean, I don't know if anything's fun in Houston, but it could have been like a lot more. I had like some fun features to write about, like writing about Cal Raleigh's nickname, big dumper. And instead I'm writing an analysis. (laughs) I'm writing an analysis piece on pitcher usage and why they went to it. And we're grilling Scott service about it. And he doesn't really answer. And God forbid, if I ever hear the words, trust the process again, I, you know, uh, that's that's become overused and blow it up or, you know, you know, rebuild or tear it all down, all that other stuff. All right. I've fixed my audio issue now. I'm on my my microphone. So I apologize to our listeners for that. But Ryan, uh, it's October 13th. Where would you normally be? I think you alluded to this earlier, but where would you normally plan on being on October 13th during the divisional series of the, of the MLB postseason? I would likely be somewhere in Montana, either my hometown of Haver, Montana, or in Missoula, because Bill knows this. There's nothing quite like Missoula, Montana in the fall. The leaves are turning. I'd probably be on a river somewhere. Flight. Well, it's tough because I got to pay the out-of-state fees, so it's a lot of money. But my buddy's a fishing fly fishing guide, so I might be on the Missouri, or I might be somewhere in the Bitterroot, um, you know, going to, oh, man. Now you're making me just homesick. I, I was home <laughs> for a little bit and I, I got to climb the M and it was great, you know, and no, that's usually where I'm at. I, I disappear. Like, you know, I, my hometown's got 7,000 people in it, maybe six now. And, you know, for a kid from that kind of area to go and live in the Seattle area and I live in Tacoma and drive up to Seattle for games and stuff. So deal with the traffic and the people and stuff. When I go back, it's just me and my parents, black lab and a lot of open space and kind of disappear. My girlfriend lives in, in my hometown. So I'm back there spending time with her. She's not a really big fan of the Mariners right now. Um, but no, it's, it's very different, but like, you know, I'd never covered the postseason. I've done a lot. Like I always tell people like, this isn't a bad life for a kid from Haver, Montana. I never expected to get to where I, I, I am right now. I'm not the prettiest writer. I'm more of a grinder. Um, but like I've been to Japan to cover the Mariners. I watched Ichiro retire. I've been to two Hall of Fame appearances. Like my dad got to meet and watch Ken Griffey Jr. make fun of me for hours. You know, I You got I, you got Ken Griffey Jr. to wear a Montana Grizzlies t-shirt. Yes, I, I did. Yeah. I mean, like I've you know, I've done so much. I've been to six or seven all-star games. I, I you know, I'm finally and now I'm finally getting to cover the postseason. So it's kind of like, you know, oh, maybe I can just retire early now that I've done this all. I mean, listen, fact- I feel like I feel like you retire for half the year already as it is. Like, I mean, that's what I mean, like I've told people you have mastered the sports writing lifestyle in as much as you cover a team that never goes to the playoffs until this year. Yeah. So you're out you're out of there by the start of October. You're back in Haver. You know, I think correct me if I'm wrong, like I think you bartend part-time and have her during the yeah, offseason. I, I substitute taught. Now that will make you question your life choices when you substitute teach. And so you have um you've definitely uh you've definitely gotten away with this for a long time. <laughs> and so now they're gonna make you work at least a little bit into October, which I think is uh well deserved and, and and it's fun for you. Um big dumper? Yeah. Tell me about that. So Cal Raleigh, the catcher, Jared Kelnick, they're 
he said at one time that his nickname was Cal's nickname was Big Dumper, and I mean, I mean, I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. Cal's got a big butt, you know. Baseball <laughs> players in general, um, you know, like I my 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 girlfriend said that she said that uh, baseball pants are like yoga pants for women. Some guys look really good in baseball pants, just like some girls look really good in yoga pants, and some guys do not. I don't know where Cal fits in there, but he's got a large backside, you know, and so that's where they got it from. And and now everybody calls him that. And I don't think Cal liked it at first, but he really has embraced it. I mean, Jared should get royalties for all the T-shirts and stuff that they got coming out. But, yeah, that's his nickname, Big Dumper. And I was going to talk to his mom about it because now his mom's on Twitter calling herself Big Dumper's mom. So uh, you, just, <laughs> you just never know where it's going to take you each day. This Mariners season has had, you know, some some kind of – tentpole moments of, you know, the magic, I guess, if you will. And, you know, I, I made the move up from LA uh, back to the Northwest in July. And I remember really relatively early on that when the Yankees were in town and they had that one game against the Yankees that I don't know, felt like it went 30 innings, but it might've been 14, yeah, um, 13 or 14, I can't remember. 13 or 14 innings. And then they win in dramatic fashion. Obviously Cal Raleigh hits the Homer in the, in the wild card. And it just feels like there's just been some of those magical moments. And then of course, there's the reverse of what you saw in game one um, with Robbie Ray coming in and, you know, all the, you know, we can pick that apart. But was there a moment this year that where there was sort of a light bulb that went on for you or where you've kind of felt the, 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 the I mean, it used to be called Soto Mojo. I don't know what they call <laughs> it anymore, but it, was there one of those for you? I think for me, one of them was um, it was during, well, you know, they won 14 games in a row. And it was during that 14-game winning streak. They're they're playing the Rangers, and uh, I think they're up one. And Julio Rodriguez hit a hit a grand slam to dead center on a 98 mile per hour fastball, and I was just like, my God, you know, like. And that's I I think for me it, it's that moment, and that's kind of he started to become a star before that, but like he really, you know, in that 14-game stretch. He was the best player on the team, one of the best players in baseball. He carried them. There were guys hurt, guys underperforming. And here's a 21-year-old kid who'd never played a triple-A game in his life carrying this team. You know, and I think that was that was one of my favorite stories I got to write this year. You know, there have been other ones. I love the 13-inning game, and, and um, they had a game in New York that they won similarly. And, you know, there was other ones. It's um, It's been – but it's those kinds of things that I think really – I think that one – I'm trying to think of what other ones. Hmm. I, I think that's probably one of the main ones. They've had a couple others as well. But I think that's one of the moments where I just said, okay, there's something crazy going on with this team. And then when – you know, and it, it just kind of grew from there. How does a city – and I know you said you live in Tacoma, but how does a city um, – change as its team kind of comes out of hibernation you know like i mean what have you felt around seattle and i'm you know i'm sure this is true for you know mariners fans everywhere but what has kind of been the what have you noticed that tells you that the city is catching the the bug of the team again well i mean like you walk around and you just see nothing but mariners hats i mean everybody's wearing mariners gear now it used to be seahawks gear and stuff like that but now you just see nothing but mariners gear and like julio rodriguez jerseys the big thing to me is noticing how many kids young kids are wearing mariners gear now like it's the cool thing every kid's got a julio t-shirt or a julio jersey you know and you see more and more young kids at the game 
And so I think that's kind of what I've noticed. There's just an energy about it. Like T-Mobile Park in the summertime, it's the place to go on a Friday and Saturday night. When it's nice out, it's 80 degrees and you want to go there and hang out. I mean, like they have that whole pan area there. It's not really even half the people aren't even watching the game, but it's just a cool place to hang out. But now it's filled more and more with fans that are watching the game that are there just not for the experience. And that whole area in the Soto area is just, it's just different. Yeah. I mean, like, and you feel it. It's not just in the Seattle proper area, but you feel it in Tacoma. You feel it everywhere. Like, you know, you go into a sports bar, the games are always on, you know, and it's kind of funny. We joke in Seattle that God bless you can't find a. They'd rather put on Fletch rerun than, and I love Fletch. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my top five movies, but they'd rather have Fletch playing than they would have a Mariners game or any sporting event on it. And now it's like you walk in, it's always on. And I think that's the big thing. You just you can just kind of feel it. It's it's the it's the cool thing to do again is to be a Mariners fan. 162 game regular season. Like you said, it's every day. I've I've covered a lot of NBA seasons, and those are 82 games. And you feel the that feels like every day. But baseball is literally one is every single day. How do you um, make it interesting? Especially this year. I mean, like I think it's a little different when you know the games start. taking on sort of a cumulative weight but over the course of a normal year or when it's april may june and you don't really know where the season's going how do you keep that fresh and how do you keep readers um how do you keep readers uh coming on that journey with you it's yeah i mean it's you know it's crazy we i i think i wrote more a few years ago maybe we don't write as much um Still write, you know, I write about a thousand word or twelve hundred word game story every day, plus a notebook, probably more than my editors want. There's analysis, you know, I'll do Twitter mailbags. I'll do stuff to kind of engage with fans and readers. Um, and I think for me, the big thing is, is I, I don't write like a traditional game story. I don't I kind of write different, you know, some people like it. Some people don't. But I had an editor tell me once that you don't write game stories for people who didn't watch. You write, pe- you write the game story for people who do watch, that are watching the game, and you want to provide more. You have to provide the context of what they saw, why they saw it, what it means overall. So I try and do that. Yeah, there are days when you just brick it, and it's a terrible story. And there are other days where it provides. The one thing is, is like, yeah, baseball will always provide something. You'll, you'll see something no matter what, and you're thinking, okay, well, this can make this can be interesting. But yeah, there are stretches where it's just like, oh my god, what am I doing here? How can how? Why does anybody want to read this? It's a seven-one game, but you have to just kind of. I think if you just for me, if if you consistently provide information in that way, they're going to come back to it every time because just knowing, like, look, Ryan's going to have this, you know, and he's going to have it, and we can go and get this information. Even if it's something simple as a pregame notebook about like a roster move, what does the roster move mean? How does it affect the rest of the team? It's not just the nuts and bolts of it. You know, I don't just provide the stats. It's like, okay, here's how they're going to use and everything else. At least I try to anyways. The last time the Mariners were in the playoffs, I don't think anyone necessarily anticipated that it was going to be a 21 year drought. You know, they were a couple of, you know, they were a couple of outs away from, you know, you know, from really being in it, you know, 21 years ago. Uh, before the Yankees got in the way. So I guess the question is, do you feel like here we are, 2022, this team, you know, they have young guys. Does this feel like a team that is set up for a run and to be a sustainable winner? How do you look at the next, you know, three, four, five years of this Meredith stretch? And will Ryan Divish be working in October the next few years? Like, do we need to, do we need to get your girlfriend, you know, accustomed to this idea? Um, 
there's no guarantee Ryan Divish will be working next <laughs> year in general. But um, yeah, I mean, like if you look at their roster standpoint, you know, people hate it, the words club control, but they don't have that many free agents on the team. They have a lot of payroll left. You know, they've locked up a lot of their guys. I mean, they've locked up Julio Rodriguez. They locked up Luis Castillo to long-term deals. Um, Their pitching staff, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, all, you know, multiple years of club control. Um, Yeah, they they should be good um, for years to come. I don't know that they'll, you know, challenge the Astros. That's their goal. When they rebuilt, that was their goal is to be good for sustainable success. Whether or not they can do that, they still have to supplement the team. Um, and I always, I've been really, I've been pretty critical of the Mariners and saying that I think they've always wanted to win. They want to win. They don't know how in the sense that they don't have the courage of that conviction to, to take some risks. You know, they're cautious at times, you know, I mean, you've got to, you got to put, push it in sometimes and and take a risk because you're going to have to overspend to get a free agent there. So you're gonna have to do it. And that's a risk and you could lose money down the road, but if you want to win now, then you've got to do it. And I think we've seen other teams do that. The Dodgers are great at doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, The Astros have been really good at doing that. They push it in. They say, we'll pay the money or we'll pay the prospect fee, but the the focus is on winning now. It's not hoping to win now. It is winning now. Ryan, you and I both went to the University of Montana a few years apart. Um, The Grizzlies are playing at Sacramento State in two weeks. And I don't know about you, but that game really scares me. Can you give me some... uh, can you give me a little a little uh, encouragement so I don't have to worry too much about uh, Troy Taylor's Hornets? Uh, I worry about them because they can score. They always score. And Montana doesn't play very well there. Mm-mm. So usually at night. Um, I love the quarterback, though. I love the Roberts kid as receiver. It's really – you know what? Like Bobby Houck is Bobby Houck, and he can be quite annoying. But the level – the brand of football that he plays – and that was my biggest knock. And, you know, a couple of years ago when they got manhandled by um, by Montana State, the team that I didn't want to mention, but, you know, they were getting run over. I wanted uh, the defensive coordinator, Kent Bear, fired at halftime in front of everyone and then made to walk home. Um, but, yeah, they play, you know, it's it's different now. It's They play a, a brand of football that I respect a lot more. But, yeah, I'm always worried because he always has a clunker. One game a year, he has a clunker. And you know what he does, too, in those clunkers? He does something crazy special teams-wise because that's what he coaches. So, you know, things will be going south, and it's, oh, let's try a fake punt here. Let's try a fake field goal. And then when it goes south, he doesn't want to talk about it because he's Bobby Howick, and he doesn't have to answer these questions. It's so funny. Like, so when I was at the very beginning of my sports writing career, and I was the Montana Grizzlies football writer for the Montana Kaiman, our college newspaper, um, they went to Sac State when Sac State was terrible and was the worst offense in the conference, worst defense in the conference. And I think the Grizz won like, let's say 10 to seven. And, you know, you'd have to go back and look at what the score of that game in 2008 was, 2007. But they, you know, they barely won. They only put up like 150 yards of total offense. And I remember going to Bobby Houck's uh, midweek press conference the, you know, the next Tuesday or whatever, and just asking if, like, if if the fact that they could only you know gain a hundred yards of offense against the worst defense in the conference was concerning, and I, I just had this really tense exchange with Bobby, and it ended up ending up in the the in the Missoulian the next day. In the, <laughs> there was a sports writer at the at the Missoulian at the time named Chad Dundas, who's now a an author, um, and Chad like like 
like wrote this exchange that I had with Bobby, this tense exchange of, well, why is that okay? Why is winning the game enough when you're only gaining 100 yards of offense? Uh-huh. So that was my exchange. But, but like, yes, he doesn't want to talk about those about those moments um, when when things are going poorly. And I think you know they only the one I was worried about this year was when they went on the road to Idaho State. And the Missoulian ran a story about how the Grizz had won like 27 straight games against Idaho State. And I was like, that was that was the uh, the moment that I was pretty sure they were going to lose that game. But they, but they, and they didn't out. play very well in that game. No, no. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that is the kiss of death. Um, Ryan, what is the best baseball book of all time? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. I, I go back and forth. You know, I read Summer of 49. I loved all the David Halberstam books. Yep. I mean, I can't help myself. I'll go back and read them. They're so good. Um, I really like that. I love Jeff Passon's book, The Arm, because it was so different and so interesting. You know, I learned a lot from that book. Jeff's a friend of mine, so I don't like saying good things about him because, you know, um, but I I probably 40, summer 49. I mean, like, gosh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I don't like Feel the Dreams or any of those ones. I mean, like, so, Summer 49 is a great book. Yeah, I, mean, I think any, that's any, probably my favorite. If anyone you know, hasn't read and, that about DiMaggio and, and Ted Williams and you know the, oh, yeah. the Red Sox and Yankees at the kind of their height, you know, and the, the lifestyle and going to Toot Shores and you know mink coats, I mean, it's a it's a hell of a read. Yeah, I, I love all the the it's the Jane Levy autobiographies. The Mickey Mantle one was kind of heartbreaking to see how kind of messed up that guy was. My name was my dad loved Mickey Mantle growing up, and he wanted to name me Mickey or Roger, <laughs> and my mom would not allow it, so. Um, I read those. I wear the I wore the number seven in college baseball for Mickey Mantle because that's my dad's guy. Uh, so I read that autobiography or the biography. Um, I read the one on Joe DiMaggio too. I mean, those are not those are not easy reads because those guys are so flawed. But I found them fascinating. Um, I did like. Uh, I have a bunch. Like that's a big problem, and I know you know this. Like leisure reading is almost impossible during the season. Cause even now, like I used to on flights, like try and watch shows, you know, like download shows to watch, but I've been working a lot more on flights, which I hate, but it's the only time I get my expenses done. So I I have a stack of books that I'm going to, I say I'm going to read in the off season. Like I have all of Chad's books too, and all this stuff. It's like, you never have enough time. And so you know, I mean, you have kids. You don't have time to leisure read, do you? Unless they're they're not they're boys. They don't sleep. No, I. I it is mostly. Um, you know, I go through spells where I'll be like a really committed reader, like a couple of weeks at a time, and then yeah. it'll be. You know, and I mean, I've kind of resisted the audiobook thing yeah. just because it doesn't feel like reading. But at this point, like, I don't know how else I'm going to consume the books I want to read. So I might have to go down that down that path. But it's the same. Like when I was covering the Lakers, like there would be books that would come out on the Lakers, and people, what did you what did you think of that book? And I'm like. Like confession, I didn't read it. Like it wasn't, you know, I it probably was important for me to read it, know what other people were saying, like see what kernels I could mine from other people's reporting. But like, I mean, I was thinking about the Lakers twenty two and a half hours a day. I didn't want the hour and a half of you know leisure time to be thinking about them as well. Yeah. Now that's my thing is like I spend so much my ram in my brain worrying about that or reading about that. Like you just you're tired. You know, you still try and read enough to keep up on the national stuff. But it's funny, like I have a bunch of stuff like stories I, I go back and save and like I have writers that I like to read still like I love Chuck Culpepper of the mm-hmm. Washington Post and yep. he's like one of my favorites so I and I love when he writes golf so I always read any of his stuff he writes about golf 
but it's hard. It's even harder then, you know? And then also it's, you just get jealous because you're like, oh my God, this is so much better than anything I could ever do. Why do yes. I read this? It just makes me feel like crap. Anyone who's listening to this must know by now that like all writers have massive imposter syndrome. But like oh. you read you read something like th- by Chuck Culpepper, who used to be the columnist of the Oregonian when I was yeah. in like eighth grade, and like was a huge inspiration to me when I was like thinking like, do I want to be a lawyer or do I want to go to baseball and basketball games for a living? Um, and Chuck kind of sold me on not being a lawyer. Um, it's just a different language. It's yeah. it's it's like it's like you know it's. I like reheat corn dogs and he makes gourmet meals. Like it's just from scratch. It's just a completely different thing. Yeah. It's, and you, and like people don't realize you loathe everything you've written. I mean, like I'll go back and like, and I have stories I've liked. I wrote a story about Felix Hernandez that going into his last start, or I've written some other stuff, but like, even then, like I want to go back and adjust it. Oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. And like all the words in the world have ever, they've been written in some way. So we're all copying each other, but it's like, how do you make those? Like, it just, oh, it drives me nuts. I mean, like Chuck and then like, you know, like you have other guys that like pass and has a great level of snark and how he yep. plays into it. And, you know, like, you know, growing up, I read Gary Smith and I mean, like, you're just like these guys, how their brain works, even like my buddy Jerry Brewer, like how mm-hmm. he processes stuff. Diff- we all process differently and how we look at things. You know, I, you know, even Larry Stone, he's just very succinct in how he wants to say it. And he drops in these little one-liners, you know, and I'm just like, you know, and I think that's the big thing is you just kind of have to find out who you are. Like I, like I'm capable of writing something good, you know, pretty every once in a while, but like, that's just not, it's, 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 it's pain for me to do that. It's pain. I, I like, I don't, you know, the features are fun in the moment, like when they're done, but writing them is pure agony. And, and, you know, I get so stressed out about that. I remember a few years ago, you won a, um, I want to say an APSE award for a profile on Eric Wedge when he was the manager of the, of the Mariners. And I remember you you saying, like you and I had a conversation where you were like, this is like the first writing award I've ever won. And that really surprised me because I think you are, you know, and I think you are usually, you are pretty universally seen as one of the, the, you know, the best beat writers in Major League Baseball. And, you know, a lot of that comes from, from, you know, time spent on the beat, you know, uh, fluency of the team and, and city you're writing for, but also I think you're a great writer. And, and, oh, and a lot of that is because you have really found your voice. And, and I think that takes time. Not all writers figure out what their voice is. They try to be someone else or they're, you know, trying to sound the way they think they, uh, you know, a, a baseball writer should sound and you don't do any of that. You know what I mean? Like you are not, you're not at the plate trying to, you know, mimic Griffey's swing. I mean, you are, you know, you're, 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 you know, you've got your own stroke. So, um, it's something I love about you. Readers of the Seattle Times are exceptionally lucky to have have you uh, chronicling this this great run for the Mariners, um, and I think we are all lucky as uh, as University of Montana alumni that whenever they try to get people to subscribe to the Seattle Times, they put your face up on the screen. You've got that you've got that grizzly sticker on the back of your computer yeah, okay. uh, to try to bump up enrollment at the University of Montana um, and get more grizzlies out in the world. So thank you for that too. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Like, yeah, the, the the award thing is tough. I mean, like, I don't write for the awards. You know, I know that, like, bosses care about them and stuff. But I never, you know, I want a couple. I want, one, I want like, a national one in college. But I have to, like, give Dundas all the credit. I wrote a story on Vince Huntsberger where Vince let me go to class with him. And I went to all these 
because he was so smart and like mm-hmm. these classes like organic cam and stuff and i wrote out like a lot of people didn't even know who he was and here he is the the best defensive player in the country mm-hmm. and just so we wrote the story but man like dundas really helped edit that and clean it up so and then you know you win a, you win some smaller ones but like the apse ones is like people get caught up in that and stuff but I'm like you know at the end of the day if you know i had like few years ago, I was like at a crossroads where I decided if I wanted to go to the athletic, if I was going to stay at the times, all this other stuff. And I just kind of got caught, you know, I got caught up in so much about this, that perception. And I kind of just, my dad just simplified it, said, who do you write for and why do you write? And, and, and I said, well, I just, I don't write for my bosses. I don't write, you know, I just kind of write for people that want to read it, you know, and, and why do you do it? Cause this is what I like, you know, and this is how I like doing it. And he says, well, then do that. You know, you can't get caught up in, you know, money or, you know, perception or what bosses think of you. You just have to kind of do what makes you happy because at the end of the day, like, it's your name next to it. And that's why I always try and tell, like, our editors. And I go battle all the time. I'm like, that's my name next to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't – don't be ch- – yeah, like, it's my name. If I mess it up or if somebody doesn't like it, just leave it. – at least let me know that I'm the reason why, not because you don't like it, you know, and change everything. So – I am not uh, easy to work with, I don't think. <laughs> because, he, like, you know, I've been doing this forever. You know, I've been doing this forever. Like, don't tell me how to travel. Don't tell me how to do it. Just get the hell out of the way. <laughs> oh, I sound like such a diva. Oh, a Diva-ish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God, dear you're, God. You're, you're easy to podcast with, though. Yeah. So that's so that's that's uh, that's good. I know you got to get over to the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, big game for the Mariners. Um, by the time people, most people listen to this, we'll know kind of what way it went. But, um, you know, Ryan, you know, thank you for taking the time on a game day to talk to us. And, 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 and truly, I mean, I'm thrilled for you that, you know, there is a payoff to these years and years on the beat to see a team, you know, may not win the whole thing, could win the whole thing, but, you know, is going to, you know, has has brought some real joy to, to that fan base. And you've had an opportunity to chronicle it and tell a different kind of story for your readers. I think that's really cool. Well, I'm happy you got back to the Pacific Northwest. I know your fair skin probably is happy that it's got back to the Pacific Northwest and your consumption of Tillamook cheese and ice cream will increase even more. So it's good having you back. Like you got to get back. We're going to just keep throwing inside inside jokes and references to each other until like everyone turns off this this podcast from fatigue. But uh, the next time I see you, it will be with a glass of Crown Royal and we will uh, we'll, we'll we'll hash this out offline. But um, Ryan, thank you so much. All right, man. Take it easy. OK, you too. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Divish, for joining Sports by Northwest this week. Love that conversation about baseball in the Northwest and about life at the University of Montana, which may not be relevant to every listener but hopefully some and it was certainly fun for ryan and i to take that walk down memory lane if you enjoyed this conversation please subscribe to sports by northwest wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review rating tell your friends this has been a lot of fun to uh take on and and share these stories of sports in the the northwest and generally within oregon but uh, today we did kind of stray beyond the borders of oregon up to uh seattle to incorporate the mariners in their postseason run thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week on sports by northwest